You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Good morning, church. You can go ahead and have a seat this morning. We're glad you are here, whether you're in person or you are online. And Man, great job, Ben, Adam, and a couple of new faces up here. I want you to know this is Joel Richardson, his wife Damaris, their daughter Autumn right over here. Thank you. And over here on my left, this is Dave. This is Brittany's and Adam's. Uh, this is her uncle, so they're in visiting. And so glad you could put everybody together, Adam. Uh, and by the way, my name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus, and I'm privileged to bring God's Word to us this morning, but I want you to know whether you're in person or you're viewing online, we believe this, that no one is here watching in person by accident. Uh, it's not fate, it's not chance that God has directed our paths to be here today, and we believe that He has something for us. And so this morning, we're going to look at a couple of places, but the main passage we'll be in today is 1 Timothy 3. So last week, we began a series for the next three weeks looking at who we are as a church, what we are trying to accomplish. And the first thing we looked at last week was the idea of community. We believe that is important. We say growing communities. And we talked about two major things. One was this, the importance of in a community, the unity that that group has. And we saw that Christ is the one that creates it. Then we are to strive to maintain that. And that's our job, that's our calling. The second thing we saw this is that Christ sets us free, called us captives, set us free, and then he does something. He turns around and gives us to the church as gifts. And then everybody that is a part of this community is given as a gift to the church. And we need all of these parts, all of these gifts working together. And the church is incomplete without each of us contributing and being a part, everyone working together. And we saw that then what happens is, that's actually how we grow spiritually, is by being a gift to the church, then exercising that, and that is how we grow spiritually. Well, today we're going to be talking about the second component, the second idea, and we say building leaders. And leadership is this really fascinating thing to me. Um, for me, I, I love reading about it. I love seeing it happen. Um, I love watching leadership even take place. In fact, if you're a, a movie person, almost every movie you watch, it's got some leadership built into it. It doesn't matter if it's from A Bug's Life to uh, Apollo 19 or Apollo 12. It doesn't matter if it's The Lion King to Braveheart. From the classic Toy Story to Remember the Titans, all these movies have leadership uh, components and lessons in them. Well, then that got me to think. And you remember back when we used to save papers and we had these little things called manila folders and you had this huge filing cabinet and you would take things to save and you would organize them. And believe it or not, I still had one of those. And I pulled it out. I thought, I'm just going to see what I've been putting in here over the years. Well, then I came across some great things. I thought, man, I've forgotten that. So I want to share with you some of them this morning. One was from Dwight D. Eisenhower. He said, you don't lead people by hitting them over the head. That's assault, not leadership. But you've seen it happen. You've probably experienced it. 
If you've seen A Bug's Life, he says the first rule of leadership, everything is your fault. You know, we live underneath that reality. Tina Fey, back in uh, the uh, Saturday Night Live cast, said in most cases, being a good boss means hiring talented people, surrounding yourself by talented people, and then get out of their way. Don't be a micromanager. Now, the Dalai Lama, not for sure which one, he said, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito in your room. If you've ever had that happen, you know the power, the difference a mosquito can make on your sleeping. Benjamin Hooks is a guy that once said, if you think you're leading and you turn around to see no one following you, then you're just taking a walk. Important thing about leadership. Probably one of my favorite ones, a guy named Isaac Asimov said, people who think they know everything are a great annoyance to those of us that do. And see, you're laughing because you're like, I've been there. Now here's my favorite one, Will Rogers, the classic. Kid, you don't know who that is probably. There are three different types of people. The one that learns by reading, the few who learn by observation, and the rest of us have to pee on an electric fence for ourselves. And you know, that's true. Sometimes, raising kids, you just kind of have to let them figure it out on their own. But I think the most fascinating thing about leadership for me is this, is you can read 20 different books, 30 different, 50 different, and you will find that many different definitions of leadership. You know, they'll say it's like trying to nail jello to a wall. It's hard to everybody come to a consensus of what is leadership. But then what you begin noticing when you start reading all these different variations, all these different definitions, they all agree on one thing. Everybody seems to agree that when you boil down leadership, it's really about one word, influence. Everybody seems to agree on that. No matter how you try to define it, leadership boils down to the idea of influence. So let me ask you, do you see yourself as a leader? And I'll be honest, I, I never did. I was always the smallest kid in the class, never excelled really at any sport, right in the middle at kind of almost average was me. Never wanted to be in the spotlight, hating answering questions out loud in class, getting called upon. I never once ran for a class office. Never did it. I was most comfortable kind of going with the crowd, whatever they were going to do, that was the easiest. And I was a major introvert. But it wasn't until I began realizing that if you have influence, then you're a leader. So just take the playground. The bell rings, kids take off, and what do you see happening? All of a sudden, groups begin forming. There's a group of boys who are going to go and decide to play football. They'll spend half the recess trying to make teams, and the other half trying to decide on all the rules. And then the bell rings, and it's time to go in. Another group of girls might go to the swings, because there you can have fun but still maintain some cool factor, you know? One group's going to converge and maybe play some four square. You watch those kids. Some are going to abide by the rules. Some are not. Some are going to include others and say, hey, come and play with me. And others are going to be really mean and exclude people. But each child out there, no matter what they're doing, everybody has influence on what's going to be happening and what's going to take place. So if you have influence, then you're a leader. Now, we all know you can use it for positive, you can use it for negative, but all of us, no matter how much influence we think we have, then you're a leader. 
So everyone sitting in here, everyone listening online, everyone is a leader. So I want to give us a definition of leadership today and add mine to the list. And here's what I would say. Leadership is influencing other people to live out the purpose that God has for them. As believers, I believe this is a purpose that we all have, that we're all leaders and we are all to influence other people to live out the purpose that God has for them. So what I want to do this morning, first of all, I want to speak real generally to everybody in here and then to a very specific, special group of men. Because if you consider yourself, if you believe yourself to be a Christian, here's what is always true of all of us. One, this is what it means. You're known by God and you know Him. You've experienced forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You are indwelled, gifted, and led by the Holy Spirit. And last week, we saw this, but being a Christian also means... It's not just an individual thing that I am to care about the life and the health of the bride of Christ, the church. It means caring about what the church is. It means caring about what the church should be doing. It means caring about what the church believes and what it teaches. It means caring about the people that make up that body. And this happens in so many ways. I'm so excited to finally be able to say September 12th is our, or 20th is our target date to be opening back up. I can't wait to be able to walk through the buildings and see teachers in there uh, investing in the lives of our children and opening God's word together, teaching them all the things that they need. Welcoming newcomers, people coming in, helping them find their place and watching them uh, begin to belong and say, that is my church. We lead and invest in life groups, investing in inviting our neighbors and coworkers to join us, getting involved in small groups. There are so many ways of caring for the church. But it all comes down, are we influencing others to live out the purpose God has for them? And that's why we do everything that we do here and across the world. That is what we hope we are accomplishing. But then we meet all kinds of people. We're going to run into people that don't yet know the Lord. Man, we get to be a part of influencing that. Others are going to know God but have no idea what to do next. Where do I go from here? Others are going to be trying to live out their purpose that God has for them and really struggling to do that. But God has given all believers a resource to help them. Pre-believers to those that have no idea what to do next, to those that are struggling, you know what that resource is? It's God's Spirit, His Word, and His people. So I want to speak to everyone first, and we're going to look at three different places. We'll do some Bible drills here. And I want to show us kind of three purposes that God has for all of us. First, join with me in Hebrews 6. So keep 1 Timothy 3, and let's go to Hebrews 6. We'll look at two, uh, three verses, 10 through 12, because here's the purpose. God sees all of us, and He set a purpose, a goal for all of us, and that is that we would endure and we would persevere to the end, to finally and ultimately be saved forever and ever. But notice what He says or how He talks about this in Hebrews 6, verses 10 through 12. He says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work 
And the love that you have shown for His name, notice, in serving the saints. As you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the first purpose God has for us is that we would endure, we would persevere, that we would, all of us, be working to have assurance of the hope until the end. And that's God's purpose for all believers. But notice what it says, that His goal of bringing all of us to full assurance and hope all the way to the end, it's a journey that we can't and should not try to do on our own. That that endurance and, and that hope comes from the serving of the saints when we are all working at this together, being imitators and helping others, influencing other people along. That is how this purpose is fulfilled. But there's another one. Quickly turn to Galatians 5. Uh, verses 13 to 14. Here's another purpose God has for all of us. It's one we all struggle with. It's the issue of overcoming sin. Now, ultimately, we know one day we're going to get to fully experience that. But until that time comes, it is a struggle that we all face. But God has a purpose that we would overcome sin in this life. And notice what it begins saying in verse 13. For you were called, all of us, to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh or sinning. But through love... Serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So God's purpose is that we would experience freedom from sin, choosing freedom and holiness, not giving into the flesh. And you see how it happens? The key to choosing freedom, accepting that and over slavery of sin, it's by loving and serving each other. By using our influence in each other's lives. And when that happens, that's one of the things that God uses to fulfill this purpose. Once again, it's not something we should or even can do on our own. Well, here's the third, the last purpose. You'll find it in Romans 12. God has set a race up. And it's a race that you are to try to win against those sitting around you. This is where God wants everyone to be striving to come into first place. It begins in verse 9. Let love, let it be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hate what is evil. Hold fast, cling to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then here's the race to try to win. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So there's a race that all of us should be trying and striving to win, to outdo everybody around us. He says it's by showing honor. That's a purpose that God has for each in every believer, that we would all 
outdo each other, striving for that to outshow each other honor. But then he uses this unique word because I want to take a moment because we're going to talk about it in 1 Timothy 3. He says you do this by contributing to the needs of the saints, by using your influence, loving and, and caring for one another, seeking to show hospitality. It's a word you often see thrown around, and hospitality means this. It's not just opening up your home, which that's part of it, being hospitable. It means looking for reasons to be in the lives of other people. Looking for opportunities that you get to be in their lives, and they get to be in yours. But how often do we make excuses to avoid it? I'm just too busy, or, oh, they wouldn't be interested. They're probably too busy, too. It's like we have to talk ourselves into this. But Paul says we are to look for reasons to be in each other's lives, to be around others. So we need to do all that we can do to take advantage of the opportunities to be in one another's lives. And I hope we felt that when everything began shutting down and everybody was quarantined and staying at home, that we felt that void of being in each other's lives. Because leadership is influencing others to live out the purpose that God has for them. You know what that means for me? It means if I'm going to fulfill the purpose God has for my life, I need you. I need you in my life, exercising the gifts, being an influence in my life, if I'm going to fulfill the purpose that God has for me. And the same is true for you. You need others the influence of other people for you to come to see and to realize and to live out the purpose that God has for you. It's something that God has set up that we cannot do on our own. So now let's turn to 1 Timothy 3. I want to do this as a great reminder for us that we'd all be in the know. Because a few weeks ago, some men were put before you in a vote of affirmation to step in to be elders and deacons. So I want us to look at this passage. This is one that we use anytime we're going through that process because in 1 Timothy, it's one of Paul's pastoral epistles. And what that means is it was written to a specific person. And here, you can see it's Timothy. In fact, Timothy and Titus were among the last things that Paul wrote in the mid to late 60s. In fact, he probably writes this before his second imprisonment in Rome, where he'll soon be martyred. You have Timothy, who's much younger, and he is leading this church in Ephesus. Paul set up this church, and so he's writing back to this young leader that's trying to figure this out, trying to lead this church. And this young man, Timothy, has incredible opportunities to use the influence that he has in other people's lives. But in this section, Paul is going to say to Timothy, Timothy, you can't do this on your own, nor should you. In fact, the church needs more than just one man. So Paul's going to lay out a picture of the type of men that the church needs. The first group he's going to address is elders. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verse 1. He says, this saying, it's trustworthy. You can believe it. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he is desiring a noble task. 
So the word overseer means leader or, or elder. And he says, this is a noble thing, an honorable thing for them to seek. And then he's about to lay out 15 requirements. Look at them in verse 2. Therefore, an overseer, he must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, there's the word, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert. Or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. So that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So let me just quickly kind of hit some highlights of these words. First of all, he says to be above reproach, meaning blameless in his behavior. Now, it doesn't mean he's to be perfect or without sin. In fact, if that was the case, the church would never have elders, even for the past 2,000 years. But it means that there are no grounds for a charge or an accusation against them. And our first response would be, no, not, not that man. The husband of one wife, or it literally means a one-woman man, meaning his affections must be centered exclusively on his wife. Sober-minded. means temperament, well-balanced, not tossed here or there. He's, he's level-headed, self-controlled, power under reserve. Respectful that he's thought well when they hear their name, they're, they're thought well of by other people. They're hospitable. They are looking for opportunities to welcome other people into their lives and for them to be in theirs. So it's able to teach or to handle the scriptures, to understand, and then to help other people. Not a drunkard, not violent with his words or with his hands. They control their emotions and their anger. They're gentle. They're not quarrelsome. They're patient. They, they bear with other people. And this is well thought of by outsiders. That these are men that are above reproach. When they hear their name, their reputation is good in the community. Now with such an extensive list, I want you to know this. I believe that Satan would like nothing more than to disgrace God's work or his people. And when these men step into this leadership position, Satan sets his crosshairs on these men. These men are to lead by example and to stand in the gap for others. What a noble task. But then there's a second group of men. He calls them deacons. Look at verse 8. He says, deacons likewise. And this word means servants. Likewise, meaning they must also be men, it says, of godly character. And then notice this next list. They must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 
and let them be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let the deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household well. Meaning dignified, meaning men worthy of respect. They're not double-tongued, meaning what they say, what they mean, and they mean what they say. You can trust their word. They're not addicted to too much wine, meaning they're, they're self-controlled people, men. They're not greedy for dishonest gain. They're trustworthy. These are men of integrity. It says they hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. I mean, they search the depths of the Scriptures. It also means that their conduct, it matches up with what they believe. They practice what they confess. It says they must be tested, meaning they need to be known. They need to be observed. They need to be experienced. They're also blameless, meaning also there's no accusations against them. They're they're free of any charge. But they're married to dignified wives. Women worthy of respect. They're not slanderers. They're they're sober-minded, meaning they're well-balanced. They're faithful in all things. They're trustworthy. And what that means, deacons have to be men that marry up. And that means that every deacon, you've married up. And we all know that. The husband of one wife, meaning a one-woman man, that their wife, singular, has their affections. They manage their household and their children well. But now notice the last verse. I want you to know what these deacons gain. Verse 13, it says, For those who serve well as deacons. There's two things. It says they gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So the men that fulfill this servant role faithfully, they gain an excellent standing before their fellow believers who faithfully fulfilling this calling, their character will become stronger and we get to watch and learn from them. They're going to learn things. They're going to, their faith is going to be built up through serving this way. and We get to be the benefits of that and we get to watch. Deacons get to be an example for all of us. But there's a second thing. They gain a greater assurance of their faith. Meaning when they humbly serve in this way, their faith is going to grow and to become stronger. They're going to fulfill this calling and their faith deepens. And we benefit from that and we get to watch that happen. So the vision of Bethel, one of the things that we're after, we're pursuing is that we want to be building leaders in all capacities, in all different ways. I want you to hear me this morning. This includes all of us. That's God's purpose, that we would be using our influence and the influence of other people would be used in our lives so that we could fulfill the purpose that God has for us. Because leadership is using that, is influencing others to live out the purpose God has placed inside of them. So deacons and elders, I want you to know you have a great honor of living out the example of Jesus Christ in your families and in this body, the church. Our deacons and elders are here to lead us in humble service. 
And we need them desperately. And that's what Paul is trying to convince Timothy of. Timothy, you need these men. And they need you as well. So I want you to know this morning, I am extremely thankful and I am so excited this morning that God has raised up another group of men. So this morning, we're going to be concluding with a commissioning of some elders that are being recommissioned, also some deacons, and then a new elder and several new deacons. And so I want you to see, just so that you know who these men are. And so here's our list of, of uh, can you go back? No, I started there. You're right. No, you're right. You're right. We started with deacons. I'm sorry, I flipped it. I want you to know, these are deacons of Bethel Bible Church across five campuses. And these are the men that God has placed here to give specific attention and service to this local body. And here they are. You can see their names. It's Clinton Carr, Charlie Crum, Bobby Freeman, Brian Kennedy, Scott Smith, Ben Stovall, Brian Thomas, Ben Turney, and Chris Winfield. And I am so thankful to be able to have these men leading us in that. You'll see an asterisk there by the men that are going to be recommissioned this morning. That's going to be Clinton Carr, Brian Thomas, and Ben Turney. And then this morning, we get to commission for the very first time as deacons. Bobby Freeman, Brian Kennedy, uh, I'm sorry, Bobby Freeman, uh, Scott Smith, and uh, Ben Stovall. And so what I want to do this morning, I want you to also see our list of elders uh, once again, these are elders of Bethel Bible Church, and these are the men that give specific leadership to this campus. They're Calvin Kane, Mike Coslo, Fredo Hernandez, Steve Hudson, Paul Keel, Kent Miller, and Adam McMahon. I can't tell you how much these men mean to me, uh, how privileged we are to have them leading us as elders. So I want you to know, as you're coming and you're a part of this, you'll see team leaders They'll be wearing a, a tan name tag. That's how you can identify them. Anybody has this? They're a team leader. These are people that are leading ministries all around this campus. Our deacons have this fashionable blue. Uh, these are how you can see these guys. You know they're deacons. These are guys that are here to help you need anything. These guys are there. Our elders are identified with the silver. So once you know this is how you can identify these people uh, that, are, that are leading, serving in so many ways across this campus. So this morning, we are recommissioning Steve Hudson and Paul Keel as elders. And for the very first time, we'll be commissioning Fredo Hernandez. So this morning, I want to ask them, and they didn't know I was going to do this, uh, and their wives, if you guys would come up uh, here on my left, your right, uh, give yourself a little bit of distance. If not, you have to put on a mask. Uh, so I want to ask Paul and Steve and Fredo and their wives to uh, come over here uh, this morning. And then on my right, uh, your left, I want to ask uh, the deacons that are being recommissioned this morning, uh, if they are here, uh, Clinton Carr, uh, Brian Thomas, and Ben Turney, if you guys would come over here on my right uh, with your wives and for the very first time commissioning Bobby Freeman, Scott Smith, and Ben Stovall. If you guys would come over here, just so everybody can see you, we want you to be identified so that these people know who are the men and we want your wives up here. We know how vital they are to uh, the ministry that happens uh, here this morning. So this morning, I want to read several things. 
Beginning this way, that Jesus taught us how to think about the spirit of true leadership. And these men are all leaders here this morning. In Matthew 20, this is what it says. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so this morning, men, I am going to ask you, Uh, to affirm some statements. Uh, We're going to put them up so you can see them. In front of all of us, a public proclamation, and I will read it, and then we'll see how in unison you can get. It's not hard. It's two words. It's I do. And so, men, here is your first question of affirmation. Men, do you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments to be the Word of God? And a totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the final and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Do you sincerely affirm the essential doctrines of Bethel Bible Church? Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders and deacons in the Lord? Will you be faithful and diligent to endeavor by the grace of God to love and defend the proclamation of the gospel in your manner of life, to walk with humility and strength before this congregation? And lastly, are you willing to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the ministry of God's people, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Bethel Bible Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. Now, deacons, we have a charge for you. It says, I charge you, deacons, to inspire faithful service to our church. Remind us that from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Be compassionate to the needy. Hold and trust all sensitive matters confided in you. Encourage them with words that create hope in their hearts and with deeds that bring joy into their lives. Let your lives be above reproach as you live as examples of Christ Jesus prepared to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And to our elders, I charge you elders to guard yourselves in all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood. By word and example, bear up God's people in their pain and their weakness and celebrate their joys with them. Hold and trust all sensitive matters that are confided in you. Be compassionate, yet firm and consistent in rebuke and discipline. Be prepared to share the gospel with the lost as you grow in your knowledge of the scriptures, which are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in all righteousness. And pray continually for your church. Now, congregation, I have a charge for us. I want to read two statements, and yours is a little harder because they change. Your affirmation would be, we do, 
and we will. So members of Bethel Bible Church, do you, members of Bethel Bible Church, acknowledge and publicly receive these men as elders and deacons as gifts of Christ to this church? Will you love them and pray for them? And I want you to know they need it for their marriages, for their families, and work together with them humbly and cheerfully, that by the grace of God, you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving them all due honor and support in their leadership to which the Lord has called them, to the glory and honor of God. We will. So congregation, I charge us, as a people of God, to receive these men as Christ's gift of our church, recognize them, the Lord's provision for healthy congregational life. Hold them in honor. Take their counsel seriously. Respond to them with respect. Accept their help with thanks. Sustain them in prayer and encourage them with your support, especially when they feel the burden of their office, and they will. Acknowledge them as Lord's servants among you. So congregation, will you stand? And men, we are so thankful for you and your wives, for God calling you, equipping you, and leading you to help lead us. Let's pray for these men now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have provided faithful and gifted men to serve as elders and deacons. And as these men assume their responsibilities, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, endow them with your wisdom, and grant them strength. Under their guidance, may our church grow in every spiritual grace, in faith, and in committed service that proclaims you in the world. Help them to perform these duties with excitement and enthusiasm and with all humility. In their work, grant them a sense of sustained awe for you, which is rooted in daily adoration of you, their Lord. And through them, may your name be honored and your church be served and strengthened. Help us as your people to accept them gladly, to encourage them always and respect them and to pray for them for the sake of your Son, Jesus. And Lord, we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. Thank you, men. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Well, just go ahead and find your way back. We're going to Benedict this morning. So we want you to see these guys. Uh, before you leave today, uh, go around, let them know how much you love and support them. So our benediction this morning, thinking of these men in the office, they have been called and the roles to fill in leading this church. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, 
immovable, always bounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor, it is not in vain. You are dismissed. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.